chapter 33, uh, dealing with the, uh, the last judgment. And in the second paragraph has to do with the end or the goal, the purpose of what God intends to accomplish by having such a day as he is revealed in Scripture. And we've seen uh, thus far last week that it is a twofold manifestation of his glory um, on the one hand in his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect and then on the other hand of his perfect justice that uh, every wrong will be answered fully in perfect measure on that day. And as I was thinking since our time last week, of how we are made in the image of God and how we do have as part of that a, a sense of, of justice in, our, in ourselves. Um, we, we know what it feels like, uh, the outrage against a wrong. And granted, it is imperfect, it's inconsistent. We can be completely at peace with our own wrongs at times, sinfully. Uh, but even, even the worst sinner I venture, has had at some moment that sense of uh, injustice, of outraged justice over someone else's wrong. And that, again, as we read in Romans 2, uh, is in Romans 3, if we judge one another, if we have that sense of, of um, outrage over injustice, uh, well, it just serves to condemn us all that we do know there is um, such a thing as right and wrong, and we can taste it just being made in the image of God in a small way in uh, his uh, zeal against wickedness. But let's keep reading then in our confession. So uh, we'll read the second paragraph, and we'll pick up this second half and the more detailed explanation of each of these outcomes. The end of God's appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect and of his justice in the damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. For then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and refreshing which shall come from the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast into eternal torments and be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so that first set of references that we will begin with in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 33 uh, what is it that God's mercy provides for his people? Again, not because of our own deserving. We all stand before him as sinners that have been forgiven and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and our sins fully paid for in his perfect sacrifice upon the cross. So it's not our own doing, but that's what serves to magnify the mercy of God so much at the blessing, not just the pardon, but what has he provided through his mercy for his people? And it isn't, it isn't just a, a moment of pleasure. It isn't just a, a pardon there on that day. 
but the the outcome the reward that he has prepared for the righteous we see here first in matthew 25 verse 31 when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now again, each of these passages we look at, we see the same descriptions, the same truths being uh, reinforced. This is uh, God's work. He gets the glory. It's all of his mercy. But notice that on this great day, what is the situation? There are two different groups on that day. We're sheep and goats. Um, notice also in verse 37, his people are described as the righteous. And the distinction that he draws is based upon the fruit that he accomplished in their life, what he made them to show in terms of there is proof and evidence, as we've said for the last several weeks. It's not just something that God alone can see within our hearts. But there is an evidence, an outward manifestation that, as I said, as we've seen, it's not just a, a formal declaration, but God truly transforms us into the image of his Son by degrees in this life, but it is brought to completion on this day of Jesus Christ, as Philippians 1 verse 8 references and so there is there is this fruit that is pointed to god himself speaks to the fruit of their sanctification the proof that they truly are his children in terms of these acts of mercy and compassion that he says he attributes as done to himself you you did these things to me beginning in verse 35 and of course the righteous, as we're described there in verse 37, are, are full of confusion and humility. Lord, when, when did this happen? When did we ever do these things? And notice the answer. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so such is God's love for his children that the, the kindness, the compassion, the love that is shown one to another, um, the Lord Jesus receives as being demonstrated to himself. 
But notice there again that description in verse 34. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing to hear. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so back to the language of our confession, this statement, For then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and refreshing that shall come from the presence of the Lord. Let's look at Acts chapter 3. We see how they've incorporated the language of the scriptures in this description. Just a wonderful reminder that God himself has revealed these things to us, things too marvelous to believe if God himself didn't tell us. In Acts chapter 3, um, here another sermon that Peter is uh, proclaiming. In verse 17, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And so, you know, here we're, we're now at a position, we're looking almost 2,000 years ago. Peter is sharing the gospel, and he is calling these people to repent. And what is uh, the incentive or the, the call to repentance, what does that include? Well, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. So looking yet future from our perspective to this conclusion of this work, to that great day, till the children of God finally enter in, to the glory that has been prepared for them, that kingdom that has been prepared before the foundation of the world. And the descriptions here, the refreshing that will come from the presence of the Lord, uh, a recognition of the weariness of the struggle, the warfare that continues on against evil in this world. There is a time coming uh, where there will just be refreshment from the presence of the Lord, uh, that he will send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And notice that description also in verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So even in Peter's day, he's looking into the far past. These prophets have been speaking about this since long ago. And all of these promises of God about the redemption of his people, the, the promises of the covenant, the promises of, of walking with God, of being called the friend of God as Abraham was, uh, those are all just shadows and, and just small tastes pointing us forward to this great accomplishment, this great work that God is at at work doing, but he will accomplish it in full on that day. 
And that is what we are pressing on for. I think one of the downfalls of modern Christianity is we look for the reward too soon. We, we expect it too soon. We're even hearing the teachers in our day promise the blessings all now. And God certainly does promise great blessings to his people, but just read the scriptures. There, there's also a lot of suffering and hardship. There are generations when uh, there, there is not much continuing except these promises of a future blessing. Uh, you think about Abraham and all of the promises God gave him. Certainly God was with Abraham, and Abraham knew the joy of walking with God. But in terms of these promises, um, he truly was a man of faith looking forward to a heavenly city, as we read in, uh, in Romans. He didn't have that land of the promise in hand by the end of his life. And so, as, as Peter shows us, the apostolic preaching of the gospel is a call to repentance. It's a call to be restored and reconciled to God. It's a call to be forgiven and to have purpose and meaning restored in your life, even now. To have a calling and a purpose in the kingdom of God that he is building. But it's, it's all laboring toward this great day of conclusion. Uh, that is when the Lord settles all wrongs and gives that great reward that he has spoken of, that inheritance, that kingdom that he has prepared. And even if we are of those like John the Baptist, for example, he didn't have much in this, in this life uh, of, a, of an experience of those outward blessings at all. I mean, he, he didn't have uh, peace and security in terms of his possessions. He was out in the wilderness eating locusts and wild uh, honey. He ends up ending his life as a young man, probably in his 30s, if he made it that far. Um, he was just older than the Lord Jesus and died during his earthly ministry. So in his early 30s, he's executed after spending some amount of time in Herod's dungeon. And so is that the blessed life you're speaking about in, in terms of this gospel we're hearing? Why would we give ourselves to the Lord Jesus to be his people? Why would we give ourselves to the God of the Bible to be his children? Is that an example of what you're talking about? That's what could be in store for me? The, the full picture isn't seen until we have seen this great day and eternity that follows it. Uh, the everlasting life, the times of refreshing, uh, the fullness of joy that the Lord blesses his children with. Let's look lastly at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we've looked at this chapter previously verse 5 this is evidence of the righteous judgment of god that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of god for which you are also suffering since indeed god considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you look at verse 7 and to grant relief 
to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the, the verse that, or phrase that we're particularly looking at in terms of the, the relief, the blessing. Look at verse 7. To grant relief to you who are afflicted. Uh, Paul here in his, in his preaching, he, he is helping these people expect you may well suffer and be afflicted in some form or fashion all the way up until this point when the Lord gives you relief as the people of God. Uh, and it's not to say that there's, there's not um, good things ahead. I think we see clearly the scriptures teach us to be optimistic about the work of Jesus and his power to plunder the house of the strong man, to build his church. We see those parables of the kingdom. The kingdom is growing. The church is being built. The people of God are being saved. God is being faithful to his word and those promises he's given us. And yet, in this world, we're living in something of a spiritual war zone. And there is an enemy all of this time who is prowling as a, a lion seeking whom he may devour. And there are those who are serving him. And as, as John in his epistle reminds us, uh, that dynamic of hatred and persecution, it, it goes all the way back, seen clearly in the relationship between Cain and Abel. And that continues on. There is that warfare between those who have uh, fallen away, those who have hardened their hearts against God. Uh, there is a hatred against God that is imposed upon his children in this world. And so all of that to say, it, it's, this, this is the encouragement you know, um, to grant you relief. Uh, we may have to wait until that day. Well, in full measure, yes. The people of God will be granted relief as those who are afflicted when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And it's, it's also encouraging to remember we're something that, that description of his mighty angels in flaming fire. The, the angels are real. Jesus is powerful, just, just as real, and, and he is just as powerful today as he will be on that day. And you can think back to Elisha and his servant Gehazi and how he looked with the eyes of flesh there in the city. They woke up and they're surrounded by the king um, of Syria. And, and Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes. You know, Elisha's not perturbed. Uh, could, could he experience uh, affliction, even possibly lose his life in, in, at the hands of those who, who hate his God? Well, certainly, but only if the Lord permits it, because the children of God are surrounded by those angels as, as our guardians. At all times, the Lord protects the habitation of the righteous as we read in the scriptures. And so uh, the Lord will finally reveal his power 
and he will finally act against the wicked in a very open way on that day in fullness. He already does in, in lesser ways in, in this life even. Um, we see that in the case of King Herod, for example, in the New Testament, where he was a hater of God's people, he was persecuting them, and then in a moment of arrogance, he hears the voice of a God, not of a man, from his audience. And what do we read? An angel of God struck him for his impiety. So he was being uh, observed, and the Lord is patient. He is patient with all. But the enemies of God should be in fear and trembling to be uh, living their lives in such a brazen rebellion against God because he is watching, he is present, he is powerful, and he can reach his hand out and touch them at any moment. And so when we do have that persecution and that affliction, how, how do we understand it? Well, the Scriptures teach us that as well. In Hebrews 12, uh, the Lord is using such things to discipline us. He's using such things to help us grow, to teach us, to help us to grow toward him and to put away our sin, to mature as the child of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all to accomplish our good, forming in us the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, rather forming us in him, his image. So that is the scriptural message. That's the message of hope that you may live a life of affliction all the way to the end, but there comes a day when uh, beyond which God's patience will not hold back his wrath, and the Lord Jesus will reveal himself from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, and that will be the day of vengeance and wrath upon those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. And so may we all be found in the Lord Jesus before that day. But let's then read the last paragraph, the last phrase here in this paragraph. Uh, the wicked who do not know God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast into eternal torments and be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so first, Matthew 25, the second part of that same passage in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked. And you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Well, here, the Lord Jesus, it's a sobering uh, thing to consider that he doesn't even, in this passage, go into all of the things they have done in a life full of 
self-centered living and a rejection of God's authority. He doesn't even go into all of that. He just applies the same test that he had just applied to his people and finds that they had not done these things. And that's a sufficient basis for this declaration at the end. Uh, they had not, if you would think of Jesus summarizing the law of God into you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's all in this passage that he points to, that they had not loved their neighbor as themselves, and in so doing, they were sinning against God himself by hardening their hearts against him. And so they have shown uh, a heart that is not submitted to God and a life full of wickedness, a life that is not full of obedience to him. And as such, there is a punishment that corresponds to the glory of the one they have rejected as their Lord and God. And so they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's also look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. Also continuing on the passage that we just looked at with respect to the deliverance, the relief that this day will represent for God's people what happens to those who have been afflicting his children well in verse 8 he will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And so we see there the language that was used in our confession taken directly from this verse 9, um, the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of of his might. Um, Isaiah chapter 66 is a passage that the American editors added with respect to this eternal destruction. This is something that was uh, revealed and anticipated throughout the scriptures. Very last verse of Isaiah. Um, and let's Let's, uh, well, we could back up a long ways. Let's just begin in verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens following one in the midst eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming, 
to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord, on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord." just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Now, as, as is often the case in these Old Testament promises and, and prophecies, um, we, we see um, a shadow fulfillment um, in the life of Israel of something that will be fulfilled in perfection at the end of time. And here also, this passage obviously describing judgment upon the enemies of God's people and the future blessings of salvation with the new covenant that he is promising. Uh, this reference to the new heavens and the new earth that are going to reflect the recreation of God in this world. Uh, through his covenant purposes. Uh, he reinforces the promises to Israel, and of course these are all fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, that son of David, that son of Abraham, who came forth to fulfill them. But this language of judgment upon the enemies of God is taken and shown to be perfectly fulfilled in that final day of judgment. We even see the Lord Jesus uh, referencing this verse in his teachings about the great judgment and the great punishment of the enemies of God that are, is coming. Um, we need to learn from each of these, just as the Lord teaches us in the Old Testament with the taking of the promised land, um, the Lord now is showing us that this is his purpose for the entire world. And this new heavens and the new earth um, includes a, a, a holistic work, a global work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive purpose to put things back as they, as they should have been. And with even uh, the greater glory of the revelation of God's grace and mercy. So that has to do with teaching us what the scriptures say as to the end or the purpose. Why is there such a day? Now, the last paragraph um, answers two more questions about this day. Um, there might have been a great day of judgment that we would not know of until we arrived there. That could have been. Um, God's purpose. There are many things that we aren't told 
And yet not only is there such a great day of judgment, but we have been um, told very clearly in the scriptures to expect it, to live in light of it, that it is a real day, it is a coming day, and there's a purpose in that. There's also a purpose in the fact that we have not been told the date of that day as to when this day will arrive. And why is it that the scriptures does, do not reveal that to us? Well, God's purposes are always good. But we can certainly say from the scriptures that um, we are not to live in some sense of security. If we knew, well, it's, it's not going to be until 10 years from now or what have you. Uh, no, we are to live every day as if we would see the Lord Jesus come and we would be called into his presence. For that matter, individually, we may be called into his presence at any moment. Um, our lives are so fragile. But we're to be, uh, as we read this paragraph, we see the answer to both of those questions as to why it was revealed to us and why the timing of it has been concealed from us. And so we read, as Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment, both to deter all men from sin and, from, and for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity, so will he have that day unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security and be always watchful because they know not at what hour the Lord will come and may be ever prepared to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's look at these scripture verses uh, next week. That's what we'll, um, we'll end our study, I believe, next week, Lord willing, of the confession of faith. And so today let's, let's close with a word of prayer and we'll get ready for our time of worship. But the scriptures have been given with such wisdom we can see that the more we study the more we marvel the wisdom and the kindness of God that he has shown us these things so that we wouldn't be just overcome with sorrow or discouragement uh, we're called to live as Abraham did to walk by faith and not by sight and so if we walked by sight there are many many cases where the child of God would conclude as the psalmist in Psalm 37 and Psalm 73 struggled. If you walk by sight, you would at times look around and see, well, I'm the one professing a love for God and, and I'm seeking after him. And yet look at all the hardship in my life. And then that person over there, they, they have no thought to God. And look at how carefree their lives are. Look at how they're blessed. Look at their family. Look at their job. Look how um, they have all good things. The Lord at times puts us in those occasions to test our faith um, and to remind us that we are trusting Him and He is the one that in time will make it clear that there, there is destruction awaiting those who are not seeking after the Lord. And there is great blessing in store for the child of God that continues on, even, even though it is a promise that they hold. 
yet there will be blessings in store. And so we'll look next week, Lord willing, at these scripture references about the practical effect that this day of judgment should have in our lives as a deterrent against our sin and as a comfort to us when we encounter difficulties that there is a day coming when all things will be put right. And then also uh, to stir us up. We're, we're not told that day so that we would keep it in mind. We would live every day mindful of it, not feel comfortable putting that out of our minds. Um, and so we'll look at those scripture references together next week, Lord willing. Well, let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you that it is the word of life. It is truth. It is the bread from heaven given to uh, reveal your heart to us, to teach us of your love for us and of your provision for our salvation in the Lord Jesus. It also reveals what righteousness is and what justice would look like. And we pray that we would be good students of your word. We live in a day where we need more righteousness evident and we need justice to be manifest. And we pray that at least in our lives, these things would be more and more clear by the work of your Holy Spirit and that this would serve as a testimony of your power and your grace and your truth that would point people to your Son who alone is the Savior of sinners and through whom we may have eternal life. We pray that we would live our lives each day in service to you, that we would not uh, live for the moment, but would live in light of eternity, and that we would uh, press on with renewed strength day by day, knowing that the, the bitterness of this life with its decline of strength and vigor and even joy at times, uh, will give way to an eternity of vitality and life and joy uh, that will know no sorrow. And so we pray that we would all be found clinging to the Lord Jesus and pressing on after him. We pray this in his name. Amen.